One of the things I've always said is that the biggest creative process, that the most difficult creative process is that of your own career. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Devers, and this is Clever. It's graduation season, and today we're looking at the many ways design students can employ their creative skill sets to seek out and design their own opportunities in a special program we're calling Creativity and Career, Designing Opportunities. This program was recorded via a live Zoom panel as part of Wanted Design Online 2021, a series of digital exhibitions and programming featuring great design from around the world. This panel discussion kicked off the launch of the first online international schools show on view from May 12th to June 12th, 2021, featuring work from more than 180 students from 15 international design schools. To see the whole exhibition, including the winning projects of the Conscious Design Awards, visit wanteddesign.online. Now, here's the show. Hi everyone, I'm Claire Pijula, co-founder of Wanted Design. Good afternoon everyone and thank you for joining us for this very special event. So I am Odile co-founder of Wanted Design, and we are very pleased to host this conversation today with Amy Devers and Clever. So a year ago, we were hosting a conversation with Amy and President Summerson, who is also with us today, and the topic was learning during a pandemic. Today, exactly a year later, we are launching our new platform, Wanted Design Online, with the International Schools Show, including 15 schools from all over the world and projects for more than 190 students. So first of all, congratulations to the students who received the Conscious Design Award. And one thing we can really say when looking at the exhibition and all the students' work is that the schools definitely succeeded in teaching, adjusting their curriculum, providing the right tools, assisting their students during these challenging times. And for sure, the students succeeded in learning and practicing during those last months. So the talk today is to celebrate this group of talented young designers as they graduate from school and to explore with our guests how they can use their creativity to design their career. Before passing the mic to Claire, who is just in front of me, so you know, we are both in Brooklyn, I want to thank all the partners who support the Wanted Design Online International School Show and the different events related to, including this talk. So thank you very much to Be Original America, Clever, the International Interior Design Association, IIDA, the Industrial Designer Society of America, IDSA, Metropolis Magazine, and NYC by Design. And a huge thank you, Amy, Rosanne, Diane, and Natalie for being here with us today. Claire? Thank you, Adil. It's so meaningful for us to kick off the spring design celebration with this specific program and with Amy today. We have always been passionate about collaborating with design educators and to make Want to Design a platform that helps students connect with the industry and give them keys to approach the design world after they graduate. And more than ever in 2021, it's priority for us to put some spotlight on design students. And we are proud to launch this new online venue with the International Schools Show and to celebrate the opening with this talk. 
So right after, go to wanttodesign.online and visit the exhibition and check out the Conscious Design Award winners. So let me introduce you and pass it to Amy Devers, co-founder of Clever and host of this conversation. She's today with Diane Domeyer, Executive Director of the Creative Group. Hello, Diane. Hello. With Natalie Nixon, founder of Figure 8 Thinking. Hello, Natalie. Hi. And Rosanne Somerson, President of RISD. Hi, Rosanne. How are you? They will discuss creativity and career designing opportunities. Amy? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Thank you, Claire and Odile, and welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be discussing this topic with the three of you because I am of the firm opinion that creativity is a superpower. And with a little imagination, critical thinking, and the skills and training to turn ideas into reality, anything is achievable. In this particular time of extreme uncertainty, rapidly shifting conditions, and urgency around issues of social and climate justice... Agility, adaptability, systems thinking, and creative approaches to complex problems are paramount, no matter the industry or situation. So this would position creatives as a valuable addition to any team or operation, even those not specifically labeled as creative. It also means these young creatives are stocked with a toolkit ideally suited to designing their own opportunities and creating a career path that is fulfilling, prosperous, and aligns with their values. So let's start there. I want to start by looking beyond the portfolio to the raw materials, the actual creative toolkit that these young folks have worked so hard to develop and how its value can be framed in the larger context. The job search or career path is the next design challenge these young creatives will undertake. Whether they plan to get a job or start their own studio, I want to know what your advice is for looking at the career path itself as a creative endeavor. Let's start with Natalie. Well, thank you for convening this this amazing event. I agree with you that their entree into this next chapter is a really exciting design challenge. And so as with all design challenges, we must start with posing really great questions. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very much inside out work. So I think there has to be a lot of, of self-reflexive questions that are, are posed along the way as well as knowing how to frame great questions 
for those with whom you're going to be working, because it's my opinion that you can you can tell a lot more about the quality of a person's intelligence by the questions that they frame, much more so than what they might spout. So the benefits of your design education is that you come equipped with a capacity to see. I think that design and art are fundamentally very different, but I think both fields really equip us with how to see, whether it's that negative space or reframing, turning things inside out, upside down. That's a real capability that you will need to translate. And really, this, these, this next chapter is really about the act of translation, translating the skills that you've learned in your discrete disciplines into context that maybe wasn't your first pick, uh, may not be your dream job, but you need to maintain that self-reflexive questioning and ability to frame questions with it in mind that it's a chapter, it's going, there's going to be something else that'll lead to. And secondly, I would just add in terms of how to leverage what you've just learned and experienced and the privilege of having an education college or graduate education in design is to understand that creativity loves constraints. You all are well aware that there are deadlines. There's a certain point when you have to be done. And when you are working in industry, there are constraints because of budget. There are constraints because of client parameters or constraints because of time. Don't be afraid to put those constraints on yourself. Understanding that you all are really graduating to a very challenging time. There's no question about that at all. It's highly likely that you won't get your dream job. But what can you build even within those constraints? Right. What what are the relationships that you can still generate? What are the new ways of seeing and doing that you can still create and design for your life, even within those constraints? And that that alone will take you miles. I love that, Natalie. <laughs> That's a very nutrient dense answer to that question. Roseanne, what do you have to add? I love this topic because for years I've watched um, amazing creative people graduate and given many speeches at commencements. And one of the things I've always said is that the biggest creative process, the most difficult creative process is that of your own career. I think one of the things that we all know, but perhaps past generations don't quite see the same way is that it's not as though someone goes to a design school or an art school and learns something and then goes out and, and makes a career. This generation has 10 careers, you know, before they're 40 or, you know, the statistics keep changing. It used to be seven. Now it's 10. And so it isn't about one career. It's really about designing a life and a creative practice as much as it is um, getting a job. So if you would think about, if you would ask yourself the question, what would I do differently if I were designing a full pathway towards creative practice, you'll probably find different answers than if you ask yourself the question, how do I get a job? I, I agree with everything that Natalie said. And I think we've all, we can punctuate it with the fact that none of us knew what we were going into a year ago, March. And yet, as was mentioned at the beginning of the year about the student projects, We've all found a way to thrive in this. And some of those lessons are really important in terms of what Natalie said as translational lessons to translate into the opportunities that one never expected to have to unravel or the new kinds of collaboration or the new forms of research and communication that we've all mastered this year because we've had to. 
those are going to be really compelling components of setting up a good creative practice, you know, rather than thinking about it as a job. I love that framing it as a creative practice because it really is the beginning of of a journey and it'll wind all over. And Diane, I know you had some thoughts on that. So what is your advice here? Yeah, thank you, Amy. And it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with Roseanne and Natalie as well. When you think of careers, and I was thinking about your question in particular, one of the biggest limitations that we see from time to time, and I oversee the creative group, which basically we're in the position of being able to help thousands of career professionals and hiring managers each year kind of navigate the landscape. And it's really interesting when you look at one of the biggest limitations that we often see for those that are early in their career is that they become too focused on a career path. And both Roseanne and Natalie said this, you know, this kind of concept of a design challenge applied to your career is really, really important because a career path is linear or sequential. But if you ask nearly anyone with, you know, 15 plus years of experience to look back at their career, they would describe it as more of a career journey. As an example, when I first came out of school, I had no idea. I mean, I had a degree, but I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And here 25 years later, I'm ironically viewed to be a career expert. Careers take lots of different paths and detours, and you need to be much like in a design challenge, open to all possibilities. The advice that I would give to those that are just embarking on that journey is to use your strengths and your values as a compass for the journey, but to be open to any and all possibilities, not to box yourself into an exclusive path because some of the most rewarding opportunities in our careers are those that were unexpected or you would have not foreseen on your journey. That is a hundred percent true because my whole career is something that I did not foresee at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It took a circuitous route through areas I was not even attempting to go into like TV and now podcasting. And what I've found in those unexpected places is that my creative education did stock me with the tools I needed to navigate those new learning experiences and those fun detours. They felt like detours at the time. They turned into my career. So let's exactly. wrap our heads around the value of creativity. What's the business case for hiring young creatives? And even outside of design-specific industries, is there a demand now for creative thinking in terms of the candidate requirements? In my mind, there is always a business case for hiring early career creatives and the value of creativity and innovation has never been more valued than it is now. And especially in light of what we've gone through globally in the last year and a half, the bottom line is creatives are problem solvers. You know, they bring new ideas and perspectives, solutions, challenges, And no matter what industry above and beyond the practice itself or the design roles themselves, creativity, innovation, and design is taking the lead in challenging organizations to be innovative. There was a study a number of years back by Adobe and Forrester, 
you know, most business schools would say that there is a business case for design-led companies. But this study in particular cited that design-led companies, they have 41% higher market share, they have 46% greater competitive advantage, and 50% more loyal customers. And so not only in product design and, and those types of fields, but when you take organizations like Airbnb, which are in design-led companies. We all know Apple as a design-led product company, but service and other industries that put design at the head, value it at every level in their organization, have a competitive advantage. I'm so happy to hear those stats, that data to just back up what I've known all along. And I know, Natalie, you've made your life's work out of drawing a, a clear, bold line between creativity and business impact. So what is your thought on this? Well, I started collecting signals on the landscape as a creativity strategist about six years ago. So in 2015, when the World Economic Forum proclaimed that creativity would rank as the number 10 job skill for 2020 and beyond. And then one year later, in 2016, they said, hang on, actually, creativity is going to rank as the number three job skill for 2020 and beyond. And what was interesting and funny to me is that job skills numbers one and two were critical thinking and problem solving, which P.S. Creativity. Bound in creativity. Mm. Exactly. So net net creativity is the number one job skill that all of us will need to be able to leverage, especially in this fourth industrial revolution where technology is ubiquitous, where there will be casualties in the labor market uh, as basic task functions in any arena, in any sector will be taken over by uh, automation, robotics, whether it's law, financial services, food and bev, et cetera. So the companies and organizations and leaders who will thrive will be the ones that make room for the human. And Amy, as you, as you referenced, I've spent a lot of my, my time thinking about this. And one of the things I write about and I speak about is the business ROI of creativity. And just to share three short examples of the business ROI of creativity. One is that when we are more intentionally creative, we naturally have much more inventive thinking. And when we have more inventive thinking, that leads to radically different business models, which leads to new strategic partnerships which often uncover new revenue streams. That's a direct line between creativity and business impact. A second thing that happens is that we know that while it may be uh, a pain in the tush to collaborate sometimes, sometimes I feel like, oh, I could do this so much faster by myself, but the more diverse the inputs, the more innovative the output. So when we work collaboratively, because I cannot possibly think of the sorts of questions that everyone assembled on this call today would consider and vice versa, we actually end up generating a lot more interesting nuggets towards solutions, towards future possible scenarios. So when we collaborate, we end up ultimately boosting productivity, increasing efficiencies. And when efficiencies increase, costs go down. That's a business impact. And finally, the third example I would share is that when we are creative, we are customer obsessed. We must be customer obsessed. It's not about us. It's about what are the needs of the market? And by the way, one of the advantages, hopefully, in your design education is that you become really good at falling in love with people's problems. 
You're not designing for yourself. You're designing for holes in the market, that negative space that I referred to earlier. When we are customer obsessed, we end up designing services, experiences, processes, products that are much more meaningful to people. And that builds brand loyalty. And hopefully that begins to generate a a larger market share. That's a business impact. So those are just three short examples of the bold lines that we connect between creativity and um, business impact. So I think that combined with, you know, what Diane just pointed out, what we know from a lot of storied institutions like the World Economic Forum and some of those examples I just shared, people should be feeling very encouraged about leveraging creativity and contributing a creativity competency in whatever organization you end up working in. Wow. I love all this information that's being spelled out for us because it really does make me feel very encouraged that we're not the only ones who recognize the value of creativity because (laughs) it's starting to be recognized in a larger context. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. 
Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. So a lot of uh, people who are listening today, I'm sure, who may be embarking on this next chapter of their life may not be looking to work for someone else. They may be looking to start their own studio or freelance for a while or start a consultancy even. And I'm wondering if there's a case to be made for including designers in the planning stages of projects or the value of art and incorporating original art and design into events, marketing campaigns, activations. Is this something that our listeners can frame into their pitches? There's a lot of evidence that shows that when design is an add-on, everything has to be redone. (laughs) Because, you know, design can't be at the end because it's conceptual and it's the framing for a good process. So, you know, as we've just heard, this notion of creativity as a competency is at the origins rather than thinking about design as it used to be pigeonholed into the way that something looks or the way that something's communicated. Now it's conceptual framing and it's much deeper than that. And I think, you know, going back to the argument about the business case, you know, the fact that IBM hired a thousand designers to, to really revamp their company, the fact that McKinsey and company, which is, you know, the, one of the main business consulting firms has a design division now is evidence that large scale companies are seeing the absolute essential nature of design. So, you know, going back to your notion of design as a superpower, Amy, if someone thinks about a creative practice that they can also design the practice of, 
and the fact that design has been validated by these large companies, there is a really interesting opportunity to think about, you know, what doesn't exist and what, what are my special strengths? And I think particularly, and this was mentioned earlier, the notion of the sense of um, individual values that are defining our culture at the moment and the unraveling of long held um, misguided principles and restrictive practices are really coming to the point where companies are freaking out. They, they want to know how to reinvent themselves so that they're relevant because a lot of them are becoming increasingly irrelevant as our culture really advances faster than our business sector. So the notion that a creative individual would have something unique to contribute that comes from a different identity, lived experience is something that is incredibly in demand right now and that companies are not able to so quickly pivot to as would a small startup. And then one other point that I want to make about the value of the kind of design ethos in a business setting is this notion of navigating the speed bumps and sort of the durability of a business. Many businesses fail within the early stages, but one of the things that a design education does is it teaches you to essentially create something of significance out of nothing. Thing, right? It didn't exist before. You put your materials and your hands and your skills together and you create something. And having that superpower, as you referred to it, Amy, means that when you hit a speed bump, when you hit a real a challenge or a failure, it, it doesn't resonate the same way with the creative person as it would with someone who is a linear thinker or who is working to a rubric or a matrix of a business plan. And, you know, Airbnb, which Diane brought up, is the perfect example. They've had so many times where they've run up against some really major challenges that probably mm-hmm. would have unraveled other individuals. And they cite their design education as a reason that they've been able to not just jump over that hurdle, but actually come out better and stronger as a company and more innovative. I think on so many levels from the, the notion of the fact that Big companies are putting designers in the C-suites now, the chief creative officers. The, the notion of doing that for a company actually is very important, but some of those same competencies can then be taken into startups and individual practices in ways that have the nimble flexibility to deal with the absolute insanely fast-moving changes that are happening in all industries right now around values, technology, cultural change, and the fact of rapid speeding fluctuations that are happening in every field and every industry. So for a creative person, if they can figure out how to jump into that, they're so much better suited than people that haven't had the kind of toolbox that you mentioned earlier you know, in their reach. So I love that you just sort of spelled out how important the adaptability and agility of a creatively trained creative thinker is and how important that is. And I'm wondering, like, what are the practical nuts and bolts of framing that if you're just starting out and you want to be able to position this creative thinking, these this creative toolkit as valuable soft skills for any position, even maybe not a creative position. So you might have to be sort of educating or explaining to someone or a client that this creative toolkit is really more valuable than they might realize. What are your thoughts on exactly how to maybe put the language around that in order for them to express this? 
we've done a number of, of workforce studies specifically around creative and marketing hiring and careers. And one in particular, you mentioned the soft skills of creativity, critical thinking and adaptability. And those are soft skills that are highly, highly valued. And as a matter of fact, the vast majority of hiring managers say that they place as much or more emphasis on the soft skills than the hard or technical skills. And if you think about creativity, critical thinking, and adaptability, and specifically the impact that COVID has had um, on organizations in the last years, companies have had to change their product, their delivery. They've had to shift campaigns and messaging, and even business models have had to change. And those organizations and individuals that were most adaptable contributed greatly to those organizations. I don't know if you, any of you had the opportunity to watch My Octopus Teacher, but I think it's such a great lesson in creativity and adaptability. If you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. If you watch it, this octopus basically uses creativity to survive without the benefit of a mother or father to teach them. And it's adaptability for survival. And so if you think of adaptability and how do you frame that, especially if you're early in your career, is to always be thinking about not only the work that you do, but what is the customer or business challenge and what is the impact of the work that you are doing. And if you can frame that in the context of the challenge and how you had to adapt to the situation and what impact you made, and you can articulate that, you have to have examples. The best advice that I would say is whether it be in your portfolio, whether it be in an interview, to be preparing your story around what was the challenge and what was the impact and how did you adapt the work that you did to those situations. And if you can speak in those terms of telling a story, you'll be in a better position to demonstrate your adaptability, your creativity. It's not just assumed that you have it. You have to discuss it in the context of something that would make sense to a potential employer. I want to hear, Natalie, you were nodding in vigorous affirmation to that. I want to hear what you have to say, because you talked earlier about framing questions and framing the right questions says a lot about you. And Diane, you sort of mentioned storytelling as a really important framework for discussing adaptability. So Natalie, how do you build on that? I don't want to forget this point you mentioned that we don't want to not include those people who uh, want to immediately start on an entrepreneurial journey. Someone said, you know, maybe you don't want to work for other people. You're always working for someone else. I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) I was a professor for 16 years. I worked in the fashion industry before I became an academic. You are always working for someone. And if you don't have clarity on that, you'll be in trouble. So you're always working for your clients, even if you are an entrepreneur. But having said that, fundamentally, everything still goes back to deep-rooted curiosity. Because wherever you, you land, you need to be able to leverage your design education to be able to talk about how you have a capacity to reframe. Because given the incredibly VUCA environment that everyone has been going through, that's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, everyone needs help 
in reframing what business do we think we in? What's the business that we actually should be in? Is this nugget that we've been making for the past 23 years, does it still make sense? Are we in the transportation business or the mobility business? Are we in, in the insurance business or the comfort business, right? So that all stems from what you've learned about framing a design challenge. So curiosity is really key. And in the space of design thinking, which is a space I worked in and did a lot of work on and wrote a book about, we talk a lot about empathy, 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 empathy. You must first have empathy for the people who are using your stuff, your services, your experiences, your products. But it was in the process for me of writing the creativity leap that I realized we actually don't have that quite right. Before you can empathize with anyone, you must be curious. You must be curious about why do they sit over there and not over here? Why do they do it that way and not our way? And once we are able to really master curiosity, understand the curiosity is actually, as my pal Warren Berger likes to say, asking questions is a way of thinking. Sure, it is a signal of ignorance, but so what? It's the beginning of exploration and discovery. So first starting with curiosity, that leads to empathy, which can lead to insights and action, which if we're lucky, that leads to equity. So there's also a nice pull through from curiosity through empathy, action all the way to equity. So your ability to demonstrate that your training, your education, your skills development has equipped you with an ability to reframe, that's fundamental to strategy. In my view, Strategy is creative because the best strategists know how to look at a problem inside out, upside down, anticipate what's about to happen next by asking and generating different questions. So I, I think that, again, that act of translation, which is a lot of what Diane was talking about, what, what's the story that you're telling by, by identifying what's the nugget of the challenge, what was the impact, what were the steps that you took, how can you demonstrate the ways that you collaborated, how can you demonstrate the ways that you improvised. And by the way, we all improvise every day. It's not something to be intimidated by. The best leaders know that they need better improvisers in their organizations. The best clients know that they need help and thought partnership in improvising. So I go back again to curiosity so that you can translate that to whoever you're talking with about your value in terms of being able to reframe. Thank you for that. And I will second the uh, power of asking good questions. I truly believe that framing interesting questions signals where your mind is going, how you're processing the information, but it also lets your counterpart know how deeply you're listening and how observant you are to everything that's going around. And a lot of times those questions will also signal that you've processed the information and have now moved forward to the problem. Let's talk about the um, detective work involved in this first stage of going from being student to needing to earn your own livelihood, lining up opportunities. I know that like there are the obvious places to look, the job listings and, you know, the want ads, but what are some creative ways to go about the search and discovery process and how to stay open? We all talked about the path not being linear how to stay open to unconventional opportunities or opportunities that might not be what you were looking for, but are the right opportunity for you in that moment. 
I mean, it's really complicated because there isn't a simple answer, which is the point of the question. You know, yeah. the, the point is that um, everyone has to be a, a kind of intrepid explorer on their own and find the things that they're generally drawn to that match their skills and their values. And that's not always so easy, but there are lots of networks that um, are available. When I've observed long careers of people that have been incredibly successful and have started something on their own and new, they've created almost their own apprenticeship first, where they've gone to work for a company, um, which you know they sort of call their day job. And then at night, they're slowly building the capacity for their own career or their own entity. I've seen many incredibly successful companies built that way. And, and the, the point of the day job gives you the practical experience. It gives you, you know, it's a wonderful experience to see how a successful company operates, whether it will, you know, match what you, you plan to do or not. But it also gives you the security to make sure that when you do your thing, you've gotten to the point where you can take the risk and do it well. It's very hard sometimes when you just start with, um, out resources, unless you you know you have a trove of resources behind you, which a, a lot of young people don't. You need to kind of set up this duo system for a while until you can finally make the change from one to the other. In the process of finding that sort of day job piece, it's very important, particularly if you're not necessarily interviewing with a designer to really show the depths of your surprising different way of thinking with concrete examples. So in a job interview, if you can think about what were your aha moments when you were creating your portfolio, the portfolio is going to show proficiency, but it's not necessarily going to show how you think or how you differ from someone else with a beautiful portfolio. But if you can remember some of your own aha moments and say to an employer, you know, I was doing this and then all of a sudden this, this occurred to me and I played with this new material or I tried this new challenge or I found this new technology or whatever and actually demonstrate the thinking and then show the outcome. That's going to be really powerful because that's a process that the interviewer most likely doesn't have on their own. So they're suddenly seeing instantly your value. If you're interviewing with a design professional, that, that's important too, but you also have to demonstrate your proficiencies. But if you're going into an industry that's not necessarily a design-driven industry, that ability to wow someone through um, communicating your aha moment to them so that they can experience it and see the potential that you could bring to an environment is incredibly powerful. And, you know, a lot of design students as they um, exit school don't even realize how awesome they are, you know, because to them, it's, I mean, it's just them and they've seen their peers do amazing things, but the outside world is not that awesome in terms of coming up with innovative solutions. So just having the confidence to actually walk through a process and show how you made a discovery, how you overcame a challenge, how you had a, a flash of intuition that turned into something is really powerful for an interviewer or an employer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I think it's so important that you brought up, I think so many people who are just emerging from school don't realize that they were in this water that not everybody else is in. They're like fish that don't recognize their environment. And then they go out into the more diluted regular world and realize that that familiarity with the creative process is actually really, really valuable. So sometimes you might find a company or a client or a person, even in just passing, that maybe fits with your values or with your culture or is doing something that you really want to do with them, but there's not necessarily a convenient job opening to sort of stuff yourself into. What are some creative ways that you might turn what starts as a culture or value fit into an opportunity, even if you're nurturing that for a while and it's, and it's not an immediate thing? You know, it's interesting because even as you you know, asked Roseanne the previous question, like, how do you turn things into opportunities and where do you start above and beyond applying on the job boards? You can never underestimate the value of the network. And to your point, when you find those connections, if you foster those connections, even if it doesn't appear to be an immediate opportunity, that connection fostered can lead to lots of different opportunities. I think the importance of organizational fit, cultural fit, et cetera, it's like never been more important. So nine out of 10 creative professionals that we surveyed said that they would not accept a job offer with a company whose values did not match their own. We did a research study back in 2018 about organizational culture, the make or break factor in hiring and retention. And it's even more important now. It is a two-way street for employer and employee as to whether there is that cultural fit when assessing an opportunity or assessing an individual. But even if there's not that career opportunity today, when that magic strikes and there is alignment, it is typically recognized by both partners. If it is fostered, it will lend itself to either an opportunity down the road or a referral because that's the power of that network. I do want to offer just a few things as it relates to how can you assess company culture or culture when you, if you are 
presented with an opportunity. Um, a lot of it is about doing the research on the company site and the review sites and what you find in terms of who works there. You can look on LinkedIn. But it's interesting because this last year, for many companies, the concept of organizational culture was turned on its head, where you know you might think of it as a mission statement or a work environment. And culture is more about values, purpose, people, the actions. And so you can ask questions like, what do you like about working here? Or what do you wish you would have known before starting here? And again, even if there's not a career opportunity and you're just networking and you're asking these questions of someone in your network, you're going to understand more about them, but also about the organization. How is this organization different from the competition? What would you change about this company if you could, right? Always coming with those questions and Natalie's comments about curiosity can uncover by asking those questions. Not only can it uncover whether there is a match, but it also can uncover when that lightning strikes of that connection, something that can be fostered for future opportunity. Thank you for that. Could I build on that a little bit? Oh, for sure. You know, maybe it's because I'm a I'm an African American woman. I, I have a background in anthropology and fashion. I think that we have to revisit that phrase culture fit. It can be a very coded phrase okay. in my experience. It's often a, a place of privilege to be able to wind up in a company where it's a total fit. I mean, I think for most of us, that's really, really rare. So I just wanted to add my perspective that instead of thinking about like having a slight paradigm shift, instead of it being a culture fit, it's about, it's about a culture ad. And I actually first learned that phrase uh-huh. from Danielle Leslie. I just want to shout out to her and credit her for that. It's so succinctly framed what my experiences have been. And I, I just wanted to to recommend that it's been my experience that rarely will you get a job by answering a help wanted ad. Number one, they're putting the ad out because legally they are bound to do that. So they don't show bias. The way you get a job is by not only by who you know, but by people knowing about you. And so fundamentally, it goes back to part of what Diane said. It's about network. And the best way to build your network, especially when you're starting out, is by informational interviewing. And I can put a link, I can share a link later about an an Inc. article I, I wrote about that. It's easier to get a job when you have a job. I have experienced that one must take one's hands off one's hips, get the job, hustle, as you reference, Amy, and it might be your side hustle, might be something that you're doing, the, the apprenticeship model. Because when you are not doing your dream job and you're still interviewing and you're still networking, number one, you show up with a very different level of energy. You don't show up desperate. You also show a type of work ethic, right? It says a lot about a person that you were working along steadily in something, even though it wasn't your dream thing that you wanted to do. And over on the side, you were steadily building this other part of your practice. It it speaks volumes about your character, your drive, and your commitment to, to your dreams. I just can't emphasize that enough, that we have to be adaptive. Um, it's part of the way I define creativity, which is about toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. And the rigor is often very steadfast, very rudimentary. It's not sexy. It's very solitary. And it is fundamental. 
as is the wonder. But it's not only about the wonder. It's the wonder and the rigor that we have to practice in a very intentional way and designing your your life and your career. That's your first opportunity. Start doing that. I love that. And thank you for helping us adjust our language. Culture ad is much more relevant to today and makes a lot more sense. I really appreciate that. I don't want to end this conversation before we talk quickly about presentation. And by that, I mean, you know, there's the portfolio resume cover letter, but then we also have presentation in an interview and how you conduct that. And then also before you even get to that place, there's probably going to be presentation online in your online presence and people will see that. And since that's the area that's maybe the first touch point, why don't we all just add what you have to say about online presence and then we'll head straight into the Q&A. Your online presence, which is the combination of your portfolio, which also typically includes your resume, which also includes not only things like, do you have a LinkedIn profile and what is your social media presence, but it's how you interact. And our research shows that the majority of employers have passed on employees because of something they found in their online presence. So much like the care that you take in putting on your resume, putting on your portfolio, putting on your Instagram page, that you're equally as careful about your 360 degree brand. Googling yourself, taking a look at what conversations are you engaged in. I loved what Natalie said. It's not just who you know, but what they know about you, I think is what you said, Natalie. A lot of that is based on your interaction online. And so if you are actively engaged in organizations, if you've done the the side hustle that Roseanne speaks to, that says something about you. If you've volunteered and been engaged, engage online as well, because that's part of your brand. I would also caution or advise rather to tap into a mentor or someone else who can look at your brand objectively from an outside perspective and give you feedback as if an employer, not just have them review your resume, have them review your portfolio, look to your professors, you know, look to, to your mentors, but look kind of holistically at your 360 brand because it really matters. It says a lot about you. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? And so frequently now that first impression is what people think of you when they encounter you online. It really is that important. But I also think it's an opportunity to show your character, your spirit, and to sort of elaborate on some of your thought processes. And your individuality, right? That can come through, which Mm -hmm. doesn't oftentimes come through on, say, a resume as an example. I would just really quickly emphasize the incredible importance of scrubbing your social media accounts. It it can really be shocking how things can backfire in a very unintended way. So it's so important to really think about every presence that is someone can find on you online as being something that you are not embarrassed about or regret. It's hard to do, but so much social world now is online for students graduating. And it's a good time to sort of take out the eraser before you put yourself out there and make sure that anyone could look at your social media life and you wouldn't be embarrassed by it. Thank you. Let's move into the Q&A and try and get as many questions in before we have to close. 
The first question is for President Summerson. You had mentioned how big firms have integrated design teams in-house. Are you seeing new areas and fields where designers will be needed and creative thinking required and valued? Yes. I mean, I think the fact that design is not any longer thought of in a a more traditional definition of presentation, communication, product development, but is really seen as a conceptual frame means that almost every industry is looking to design. I mean, we have students, alumni working in the medical industry, the real estate industry, the um, insurance industry, the financial world, venture capital. These are all companies that are coming to our portfolio days to recruit students. And when I talk to recruiters, they say that they're looking for people that can move their business into new directions and new realms. To Natalie's point of culture ad as well, a lot of companies are in the process of reinvention. They don't know how to do it. And so they're looking for a perspective that can actually help them to understand themselves differently and to advance who they are. So when I think of the several hundred companies that come to our portfolio days, the number or the percentage of them that are pure sort of design firms in the traditional sense is shrinking every single year. Here's another question. I've heard from a lot of professionals that their career trajectories are attributed to a lot of right place, right time moments. What advice do you have in creating these moments of opportunity for ourselves? Are there networking events you know of that are happening right now? I'm a big proponent of 90% of success is showing up. That has been my experience and it's super, super, super great advice. For example, right now we are in quarantine. We're confined to a lot of digital interfaces, but show up to free webinars that are outside of your comfort zone, like practice lateral thinking. Don't just show up. I mean, you just heard the range of of sectors and industries that are interested in hiring people with design capabilities and, and have a really heightened creative competency. So show up to free webinars that are being offered by interesting conferences that you would have never thought to attend. And especially when they have kind of breakout room moments, ask a question be curious about following up with someone. Once we move into our next normal and we have much more interpersonal human interaction, you never know who you're going to meet on the elevator ride up or at the grapes and cheese station where the hors d'oeuvres are, but you must show up. And that's rooted in your curiosity. That's rooted in your ability to stay buoyant. I think it's fundamentally, you got to show up. Go to, you know, your go-to design associations, whatever, if you're graphic design, industrial design, IDSA, AIG, et cetera, but also DMI and international ones. Now there's nothing stopping you if you're based in the Philippines to check out something going on in Mexico City. And if you're based in Philly, where I am, to check out something going on in San Diego or New Zealand, um, there's nothing stopping you from exploring that. And Amy, if I could add on as you putting yourself out there, there are far more virtual events than ever before that are far more accessible at little to no cost again than ever before. And so to Natalie's point, above and beyond participating and showing up, oftentimes those speakers are far more accessible to you now as well. So not only asking a question, but connecting connecting with those industry leaders and fostering a conversation and fostering that network. I've found that to be far more impactful. 
than ever before. And I think part of it is not just putting yourself out there and creating an opportunity, but simply recognizing an opportunity when it's presented to you. Some of the best career advice that I got over 25 years ago was from actually our current CEO who said, some of the most successful people in life, it's not necessarily about their pedigree or what they did, although academia is really important. It's about those that recognize an opportunity when it's presented and go for it. And so opportunities are presented to you all the time. If you put yourself out there to Natalie's point, you engage, you connect with people, then it's about seeing the signs of an opportunity and being open to exploring it. Thank you. And I just want to add one thing for the introverts out there. Sometimes it's showing up. People will start to recognize. You don't even have to speak up. They will recognize your face. They will see the interest. They will remember your name from the Zoom. You will have that information in your head. If you ever get a private moment to talk to that person or somebody else, you'll be able to engage in an informed conversation because you were there paying attention. So this isn't necessarily about how outgoing and charismatic you are. It's about how curious you are, as Natalie said. So we got one more question. Any tip on how to efficiently communicate the soft skills we have and that customer needs, but they still don't know they need? What are some tips and language and signaling that you can do to just remind people that they need what you've got? Be curious about their problems. Try to get into their world. Try to get ask questions and frame questions that get them to paint a picture. A couple of examples. What are the two biggest challenges your leadership team is facing coming through COVID-19? I love this question because it's such a it's, it's a it's a wonky kind of question. If you were going to make things worse and fill in the blank, what would you do? Not what would you do to make things better, but if you were going to make things worse, what would you do? Because they've just painted you a roadmap for what not to do. And then you can begin to, uh, if, if they're interested and curious and they say, I don't know why you asked me that question or what do you think about that? Right. But don't push pull so that you can begin to have communication. Don't start to try to imp- be impressive. Ask questions to understand, to try to inch your way a bit more into the world and to understand from their perspective, what's keeping them up at night yeah, and, and on the other hand, what gets them out of bed in the morning. I think Natalie raises a really important point, which is the most important part of the interview is at the end when they say, do you have any questions? And, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people and those are the moments when I decide who I want to hire. And it's because they ask questions that make me think. And I think, oh, this person could really be a valuable contributor to whatever, you know, work we're trying to do. So it's that notion, that old adage of show, don't tell, demonstrate how you think, make it really apparent and do it in the surprising part, which is at the end when they think that they've interviewed you. And in fact, that's really the the key part of the interview. That is a beautiful thing to end on. Great food for thought. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And I want to thank President Summerson, Natalie Nixon, and Diane Domeyer for their invaluable insights and for all the good work you're doing in the world. And of course, huge thanks to Wanted Design, the organizers of this talk, and the Wanted Design Online International School Show. Hey, thanks for listening. To view the Wanted Design Online International School Show, visit wanteddesign.online. To read the show notes, click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app, or go to cleverpodcast.com where you can also sign up for our newsletter. 
Subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would, please do us a favor and rate and review. It really does help us out. We love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast, and you can find me at Amy Devers. Clever is produced by 2VDE Media with editing by Rich Straffolino, production assistance from Ilana Nevins and Anushka Stefan, and music by L1011. 